What's up, bosses? Before we kick off this episode, I want to tell you about our sponsor this week, Indeed.com. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Indeed knows when you're growing your own business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why with Indeed, you only pay for quality applications that match your must-have job requirements. And Indeed has all kinds of amazing tools that I'm going to tell you about later in the break. But if you want to get a jump start now on your hiring, just visit Indeed.com slash iLab. That's Indeed.com slash iLab. Indeed.com slash I-L-A-B. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's kick off this episode of Invest Like a Boss. Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. I'm Derek Sparts. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. What's up, bosses? Episode 263 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Derek Sparts here in Los Angeles. Sam, for the time being... In Barcelona, he's on the move soon, and he's got a giant glass of wine. Sam, how are you? <laughs> it's a copa. <laughs> it's a copa in Spain. Awesome. I got to write that Tomorrow down. Una copa? But I got I to gotta try this. It's a, it's a wine I've been waiting to have for a long time. It's got to be a good one because Sam brought out a giant board of cheese as well to pair with it. Oh, my gosh. That is so good. That is so good. You know what this this is? I've been drinking like 99% Spanish wine. I think where Spain wines really excels in like the literally in like the two euro bottle. Like they do an exceptional job in like the two to five euro bottles. That's my budget. Like no one beats Spain, you know? <laughs> and they have some really good upper, you know, upper uh, higher quality wines. But they started growing more uh, new world grapes in Italy pretty recently, like Cabernet Sauvignon. And for the most part, they call them super Tuscans. And I'm not sure if this is a super Tuscan, but it's it's a Italian. It's from Tuscany, but it's Cabernet Sauvignon. And it is just like that grape is just so good. I mean, Spanish wines just I don't know when you drink Spanish wines every day and then you drink just a good, solid Cabernet Sauvignon from like Napa or this one's from Tuscany. It's just like, damn, dude, that is just velvety smooth yeah it's wild the, the different flavors you can get even from the same grape it could be you know whether it's italy uh napa wherever it might be that it's like it's the same thing but it's not it's just like yeah it's just like food too like i told like we've talked about it all the time the food in the u.s tastes horrible i could get an apple here or an apple <laughs> where you are totally different <laughs> Those uh, those Tuscan apples sure are fresh. <laughs> so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say right now that we've had some fire episodes in 2023 already, and mm -hmm. we have another one on our hands right here. We're talking to Adam Nash. This guy is Silicon Valley. Have you taken a look at his resume, Sam? Oh yeah, yeah. So I don't even know where to start. Like the accolades are insane. And actually, we met Adam back when was the when was the Invest Like a Ball Summit? Was that? It was before my time. I'm gonna say it was like 2019. I started in 2020, and you guys had it in LA. I lived in LA. I wanted to go. Something came up, and I wasn't able to go. And then fast forward three years later, and you're talking <laughs> to one of the guys who was actually at the Invest Like a Boss Summit. Yeah, man, it was a it was a great event. But I think Johnny and I realized like after that event, we're like probably never gonna do it again because it is <laughs> even to organize like 150 people for an all day event 
is a lot of work. Like it's months to go into setting up and arranging that. And I'm glad we did it, but, (laughs) and uh, actually the speakers we had were fantastic. We got it hosted at Pierce Street's headquarters with Brett and Brew, and they helped bring in some some guest speakers from their network. And then afterwards, we went out to Las Vegas with a big group and hung out there for a few days. It was it was super fun. So we got to the privilege meet Adam there, and he was actually a guest speaker. I knew a little bit about Adam beforehand, but man, when you start going into his history and seeing what he's done, where he's been, and he's a super fun guy to talk to as well. Yeah, this his experience is insane. I'm on his LinkedIn right now, which I should mention, he was also a high-level executive at LinkedIn. But to start off with, before <laughs> he even had a job, his internships are insane. He was at two research firms, one called Trilogy, one called Interval. And then he was at Hewlett Packard. And keep in mind, this is the early 90s. This is when Hewlett Packard was like the mm. tech company. And a little firm called NASA. You ever heard of that? (laughs) This is just his internships. He had an intern at NASA? He did. (laughs) And then his first real job in uh, Silicon Valley was at a tiny little startup called Apple. (laughs) (laughs) You're going back further than, than I knew. I knew, I knew his education. I think he, he was Stanford, Stanford and Harvard MBA. Oh, I didn't even, that's on a whole nother page. This is how long his resume is. I haven't even got to that, but it would make sense with those high level internships and preview systems. He was there, Atlas Venture, you've heard of that, eBay. He was the director of eBay North America. Uh, He was a teaching assistant at Stanford, vice president of product management at LinkedIn, Greylock. Uh, He's been a mentor for multiple startups, a company called Rap, Wealthfront, president and CEO, which is probably where most of our bosses had heard him from. Uh, Sam, Mm -hmm. I believe you have a Wealthfront account. Mm -hmm. And the board of directors for uh, family offices, Greylock. Greylock's venture venture capital, right? Right. Venture capital. Firm. He's the executive in residence there, um, advisor to a ton, a ton of startups. And now he is currently Dropbox, Drop, yes. VP of product at Dropbox, and then uh, Acorns or Acorns. 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 Acorns a little different than Acorns. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's currently an adjunct professor at Stanford. Oh, he worked with Shift. I didn't know that. That's a cool uh, used car platform. And now he's kind of moved into the nonprofit world with a company called Daffy. Boom. Drop the mic. Don't you get tired of tech after that long? I think that's why he's moved into the nonprofit thing. But he's but still it, tech. Yeah. He's, and he's got... He's got checks written to all kinds of startups that he alluded to us. So it still excites him after 30 plus years. And basically since the dawn of true Silicon Valley, he's been there. You know, I think looking at Daffy, it makes so much sense because it really it really utilizes all the skills that he's developed, right? Like look beyond the nonprofit, okay? You have tech platform and then you have what's the really cool underlying besides the the donor advised fund you have the investment side of daffy right which is basically like a wealthfront style system that underpins it all so he's able to like kind of bring in all these different sides of technology and fintech into this new platform and put it towards i'm guessing what's a more meaningful mission than uh than the previous ventures yeah and when you talk to adam he, he claims you know for some i believe it's true and some 
not so for others, but the whole goal of Silicon Valley and startups and tech is to make the world a better place. And I think he's actually utilizing that tech to do that with this, where you can give to multiple different platforms. This is our second time uh, talking about donor advised funds. And I think they've really perfected the system here to make it a low cost barrier to entry for everyone to jump in and give. And it's just, it's beneficial for all uh, there's a lot of tax advantages, which we'll jump into as well. So you can feel good and save some money on your taxes as well. And this episode is a little bit different because I actually hopped in and paired with Sam on this interview because he called me while I was sleeping eh, about an hour before this interview and said, hey, um, I still haven't upgraded my Zoom. So can can we use your Zoom to not run the 40 minute time limit. For those of you who aren't familiar with it, there's been an ongoing battle no, with me, <laughs> Sam and Johnny, <laughs> that they don't want to upgrade their Zoom because now they limit it to 40 minutes. So I think they're just like, we'll just do shorter interviews. <laughs> no, come on. This is not how it happened. It is kind of how it happened. But, 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 okay. I'm waiting for a valid <laughs> excuse here why you guys cannot justify paying $100 well, on our okay. investment podcast and invest in too, yourself. Zoom has made it too appetizing at 40 minutes free. If they would go to 35 minutes, it's a no-brainer. We got to upgrade. But 40 minutes is like, I don't really want to do an episode longer than 40 minutes. Anyways. I expect this behavior from Johnny, Sam, not from you. It's impossible It's impossible to get an expense covered by the company with Johnny. So <laughs> I'm just used to paying everything out of pocket. So what happened was I was trying, you know, I was thinking, Adam, good talker, could go longer than 40 minutes. Don't want to have one of those uncomfortable rapid wind-ups. When you only got three minutes left and you're in the middle of <laughs> you have three questions left and haven't had closing remarks. So I was actually thinking to, oh, this is actually a hilarious story. I was actually thinking to upgrade my account, right? So I go to the link. This is, this is actually super hilarious. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, 30 minutes before the episode, I'm going to jump on the link, figure out how to do this damn upgrade, you know? And I click on the link and Zoom opens there's a live recording going on and I'm like, what the hell's going on? Like whose link is this? And I'm like, shit, like I got to jump out of this, you know? And as I'm going to click exit, I realize it's Johnny and Rad diversified <laughs> on the same link. But the hilarious part is Johnny is sitting in the dark <laughs> in a, in a cafe, oh my God. <laughs> presumably in Kiev as like rad's in this like badass office you know <laughs> like kind of like well dressed and stuff and johnny just looks like he's in some like homeless shelter <laughs> this is why i love our podcast <laughs> and, and it it happened so quick i didn't even know what i saw i'm like what, what was this <laughs> this is why everyone that starts a podcast goes i can do that i could sit in a restaurant and just talk to someone <laughs> in the dark and get thousands <laughs> and thousands of listens on my podcast we make it look very easy <laughs> if we complicate so much more than we need to. The whole idea of me building this podcast office was to have a more professional stance. Yeah. And you guys just uh, keep proving me wrong that this was a waste of money. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. I get out of that recording and I, I wasn't even sure what I saw. It was kind of just flash. And I was like, I got to get out of here, you know? I thought, you know? And um, then I contacted Derek and Derek's like, oh shit, I accidentally sent out Johnny's link. Yeah, to I mixed you your guys' links up. To, yeah. <laughs> 
and also to Adam Nash and his team. So I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do. I can't even find my Zoom link. And I'm like, I, I, we got to upgrade this or whatever. And then it was like 10 minutes before the episode. And I'm just like, Derek, just like, why don't you just stay on this episode? <laughs> so actually, it kind of worked out cool. So it was actually Derek and I both on this uh, recording. And so it was almost like a panel interview. And I thought it actually was kind of a fun format. So we might play with this again in the future. Yeah, it worked out really well. And I'm very glad we did use my link because when we hopped on, Adam had his whole team there going, oh, hey, guys, do you want to do video too? And I was just like, oh, God, no. I'm still, <laughs> I just crawled out of bed, didn't know I was doing this. And they're like, wait, you don't do video? We're like, you don't understand where we record from. <laughs> we're an audio only podcast. We're still getting our, we're still getting our show together. <laughs> Uh, so, and, and, and thank goodness that you did stay on. Cause I think we went well over the 40 minute mark and it, there's no way it would have, we wouldn't able to wind it up. Yeah. But it's all solid content. Adam has amazing experience. So once again, his name is Adam Nash. He's the CEO and co-founder of Daffy. Let's jump into the interview. And then Sam and I have thoughts afterwards. This week's sponsor of Invest Like a Boss is our favorite hiring partner, Indeed. They understand that every hire counts when it comes to running your business. You can find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, Assessments, and Virtual Interviews. In fact, I think Instant Match is my favorite feature because like you, I'm sure as well, I hate waiting. And when you use Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you'll get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description and you can invite them to apply right away. In fact, Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match their job description the moment they sponsor a job. So join the over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast because they know when you are growing your own business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why with Indeed, you only pay for quality applications that match your must-have job requirements. You can visit Indeed.com slash iLab to start hiring now. That's indeed.com slash iLab. Indeed.com slash I-L-A-B. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back, Adam. That's a uh, quite a large Starbucks coffee you're slipping on there. <laughs> yeah, well, it's uh, it turns out to be one of the... Uh, habits I have for the old days. It turns out back in the day, eBay in the early days, well, the, the campus was surrounded by three different Starbucks. Um, and so pretty much every one-on-one -on -one meeting, every walking meeting involved grabbing Starbucks, either like three or four of them a day. And so I, you know, here I am like 20 years later, still every morning, it's like four <laughs> shots in the morning still at Starbucks. Still Starbucks number one customer. <laughs> yeah, I had actually, I ran a contest when I was at LinkedIn. There was a Starbucks on Shoreline near the headquarters there by Google. And um, I remember running a LinkedIn poll to try and come up with a clever name for the five shot drink, right? The You can get oh a triple, gosh. you can get a quad, but they don't have a name for the five shot drink. And so it was like, is it is it the Quinn? Is it the Penta? Um, it mm -hmm. turns out El Cinco won the poll, but I don't know if that's El really Cinco. official. Yeah. Sounds strong. I know, right? It sounds strong. I, I, I also find myself in Starbucks pretty much wherever I am, including this morning in Barcelona. Uh a, call, a cafe on every single block and I still find the two or three Starbucks in town. I don't know what it is. Just feel like a good way to start the day when you have that Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it turns out um, 
I do like brands. Starbucks has done a lot of that. And I probably bought yes. into the original idea. I have, I'm a parent with uh, four kids. And so mm -hmm. it turns out that original idea of having a third place to go is a, is a pretty good one. Um, <laughs> but I realized yeah. it makes me a little bit boring. But whenever I travel around the world, different cities, et cetera, inevitably I tend to find out where the nearest Starbucks is and yeah. you know, compare prices and what they sell, that sort of thing. And I, I never get tired of reading about your history. Um, even just going into this episode, just doing a recap, and I'm always just like scratching my head, like, wow, like you've done done and been around so many awesome businesses. Uh, it's it's pretty incredible. And now looking at where we're at today um, in the markets, I had to also reflect on the fact that you also kind of went through the dot-com bubble in, in a fairly interesting way, kind of like in the heart of dot-com central. I was wondering if you could just kind of take us back there, just trying to get a, a picture of what's going on now compared to what was going on 20 years ago in the dot-com dot crash. Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, and I think it's a good question. You know, I, my career has now been long enough that this is, I think, the fourth tech downturn that I've mm -hmm. been through. And it's a good reminder for everyone that tech is cyclical in ways <laughs> and it follows the underlying the underlying mechanism of building new companies and businesses and the ups and downs of that, as well as the, the macro economy and, and technology itself. But when I started at college, I remember, you know, we, there was the early 90s recession, which no one remembers. And that was when HP did its first layoffs. And that was like a, re I mean, HP, Hewlett Packard was like the granddaddy of tech companies in Silicon Valley, right? A mm. Stanford professor giving money to two former students in Palo Alto to build this crazy idea of a new scientific instruments company. Um, and so those jobs were for life. And so I, I grew up in Silicon Valley. I grew up here. My parents are still here, family. Mm -hmm. And um, that was a shock to everyone. If a company like HP would lay off people, then any company could lay off people. And it really mm -hmm. affected folks, even though we we immediately a few years later went into the 90s boom and everyone forgot it very quickly. But yeah, you know, I, I think that it's a big shock for a lot of people who've come into tech in the last 10 years. They've really only seen growth and positivity and and um, just numbers moving. And a lot of that was built on the lessons that we learned in the bust. I mean, obviously, we had the uh, the big recession after the financial crisis in 2008, 2009. Mm -hmm. But that didn't affect tech the same way uh, that the 2000, 2001 bust did. In, in 2001, people were really questioning whether tech businesses even made sense, whether there was a strategic advantage to invest in tech. Um, a lot of cities that had formed themselves as the next Silicon Valley to back tech startups backed off and and stopped funding startups. Um, although mm -hmm. I joke in Silicon Valley that we didn't stop funding startups largely because we have nothing else to do. Like that's literally <laughs> all we have to do here. But but it's good because I think people learn lessons. You learn lessons all across the ecosystem. I think venture capitalists learn lessons. I think founders learn lessons. I think people who work at big tech companies learn important lessons. Right? You know, mm -hmm. right now. If you were for a big tech company, there were a lot of people who joined them thinking that that paycheck, that that equity, that that stock they were getting just only went up, that it was some sort of risk-free path. And there's no business in technology that's risk-free, right? This is all playing with the idea of changing consumers' behaviors, getting them to buy things they didn't buy before, use solutions, find new techniques that they didn't use before. Um, if you think about it, it's a kind of an audacious thing that we continue to try and build these new products and services and change the way millions of people do things. Um, and so I think, you know, the layoffs are a huge wake up call, I think, for founders trying to raise money um, and operators in general. But I mean, I, I hate to say it, but inevitably, after every one of these downturns, tech has ended up becoming stronger. We learn from our mistakes. We learn what worked and what didn't work. We, we think more deeply about the businesses, the products, the technology we're building. 
but right now, I would say that we're definitely in that kind of downturn psychology. You can always tell, right? The bias of every comment, every tweet is negative, not positive. People are more mm -hmm. skeptical about new startups. They're skeptical about funding. They're skeptical about valuations. They're skeptical about the management of large companies and the decisions they're making and, and the decisions they made of last few years. So um, a little bit of that bear market psychology is in, despite the fact that the truth is so far, things don't look quite as bad as people were talking about in the later half of last year. I mean, we mm -hmm. still don't know how 2023 is going to pan out and you never know. It's only February. But um, yeah, right now, what I see in the Valley right now is is um, I see a lot of people realigning their businesses, um, rethinking their strategies. Um, what does it mean if you can't raise money as easily? What does it mean if valuations are down? Um, I'm talking with friends who have either been caught up in layoffs or who are no longer as emotionally connected to the companies that they work at and maybe are thinking about something new or even the reasons why they went in. So there's a lot of reflection, but there's a lot of action. I mean, the you know, I'm an angel investor in a lot of companies. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of startups that are actually doing quite well right now and uh, are finding ways to build great products and great businesses. So, you know, as always, I'm a I'm a tech optimist, right? I I, I think that the seeds of uh of the next boom are already being planted. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, you asked about the bubble bursting, but I'll never forget. You know, LinkedIn was one of the formative companies in my career, um, and that company was founded in the end of 2002. Yeah, launched on Cinco de Mayo of 2003, um, and no one thought that that product or business would ever make money. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I had the success that it did. So. Um, you know, I, I was looking at it like Tesla was 2003. Um, I think Facebook was 2004. YouTube was a year after 2000. I mean, like, like it turns out that these eras do produce great companies. That doesn't make it easier for everyone trying to push through the difficulty of, of raising money and finding customers. But um, it does make me feel better about what the other side will look like after this downturn. That's great. Now, it, with regards to venture capital, I almost feel like when I think of venture capital, in a modern sense, it's like it started in the late 90s. I'm sure it's been around much longer than that. But for me, it feels like it was always technology, always based around technology and it and internet, you know, more or less got started in the mid 90s. Uh, and venture capital seemed to, to kind of grow off that. But do you do you recall kind of what the scene was like in the dot com bust with venture capital? Was it just like ice? There was no money going into any deals? Because it seems like now that there's still some deals that are kind of trickling you hear about, but not much at all, right? Was, I was hoping you could kind of shed some insights on on, the, on that. Yeah, no, I I, uh, I must have buried that too deep on the LinkedIn profile. But my it turns out when I finished business school in 2001, my first job was an associate at a venture capital mm -hmm. firm that managed billions of dollars, had worked in Europe and, and the East Coast, had an office out here in Silicon Valley in Seattle. So mm -hmm. I was doing term sheets. I was meeting with founders. I was trying to get money to, to, to companies in 2001, 2002. And I was, hmm. there were a lot of actually great people working in venture capital that are trying to realign whether they were building new careers or kind of settling theirs. Um, so happy to talk about it. I, I do want to note, um, and it's, it's, it's amusing in some ways, but venture capital goes back a ways before 1990. I mean, like, yeah. you know, there are still, you know, Sequoia is still proud that they put some money into Apple and that went public in 1980. So it's, mm -hmm. you got to really go back about 50 years to see modern venture capital. But um, but no, the 90s, I mean, you have to compare and contrast the two and some of it's very similar, right? During mm -hmm. the 90s boom, you could not fund companies fast enough. You could not build companies fast enough. I mean, one of the reasons I went to business school is the first startup I was at 
which went public in 99, which I know sounds impressive, except it turns out every company went public in 99. It was just the thing to do. <laughs> um, but it almost felt like startups at that stage were like you started from the S1, which is the SEC form you file when you're going public. And you mm -hmm. worked backwards to fill it in, right? Found the company. Mm -hmm. We need an exec team. We need some customers. We need a marketing story. Like you just filled it in. There were like 20 things to do. And it was almost this race to get to the public Jeez. markets. Because when you went public, the appetite for these shares was almost infinite because it felt like easy money, right? You bought an IPO. People got in trouble, right? The SEC came down after the bubble burst on investors who had done sweetheart deals. The banks would allocate IPO shares to their favorite clients. They'd flip them the first day and make millions, right? Mm -hmm. But after the bubble burst, you know, you asked about venture capital. I think venture capital is always filled with more um, diversity and approach. Um, I think that we tend to paint venture capitalists with a single brush. And it turns out that it's still a very individual and bespoke business. People have very strong opinions about what makes a great company, mm. what types of companies they like to invest in, what type of founders they like to invest in, what markets they like to go after. Um, and so when you have this massive dislocation, like the bubble bursting, you have this mishmash because the old systems aren't working. So venture capitalists who did a lot of investments before the downturn before the change, they actually have this problem. They have a lot of portfolio companies to deal with. They have founders who had plans to raise money that no longer make sense. They have companies where their partners are looking at them saying, hey, how is that going? I know that that was based on an assumption um, that's no longer true, right? You know, And so for existing venture capitalists who have been in the business for a while, they end up very much swamped with helping their existing companies, which takes mm -hmm. away time that they could have been spending meeting new founders and meeting new companies. Um, and it also takes capital and attention away from the partnership and the firm, right? When you're dealing mm -hmm. with lots of problems, it's hard to get that positive energy, right? You know, investing is always a little bit of an emotional decision, right? Do you lean in and take the risk? There's no venture capital investment where you checked all the boxes, answered all the questions. I mean, there is risk. There really are unknowns. And so I think it makes it hard operationally. I think it makes it hard psychologically. The other hard problem, of course, is that no one can agree on valuations for a while. <laughs> right. You know, they were up. Now they're down. Who sets the number? No one sets the number. It's a lot of individual negotiations. People try to get a sense of what other people are doing. Mm -hmm. um, they get a sense of end value. You have the public markets that give you a little bit of guidance. But let's also be clear, right? The public markets in 2023 really have very little relevance for a startup that's being funded now. Right. It takes mm -hmm. seven to 10 years to build a public company, at least. And that's mm -hmm. an amazing breakneck pace, to be honest. Um, so what's the stock market going to value things at in, in 2032? Who knows? But yeah, I do think that especially a lot of new venture capitalists, right? They, they have money in their fund. They told their mm -hmm. investors they were going to put it to work um, and they were going to find great founders. I, I think that they struggle to put term sheets out. The psychology is difficult. It's always easy to argue, well, I'll wait a little bit longer, ask one more question, get mm -hmm. one more month's less uh, amount of data. And so I, I think that you do see lower volume, but there is there always are contrarians in the space. There's always people who believe that actually this is the great time to fund companies because there won't be a dozen copycat startups funded the same way. The mm -hmm. big companies won't be funding a copycat and launching it a year after you launch. Um, you'll be able to hire for the startup. Right. All those layoffs, all that discontent. No one thinks that that paycheck or that equity from the big tech companies is guaranteed. And so it's easier to talk them into joining the next big thing. And what do you, are you still active, Adam, as a 
as an angel investor, are you still actively investing in new companies? I think I've read that you'd invested in in over a hundred startups or and or private companies to date. Yeah, I um I do. I am an angel investor. I've been doing it for a dozen years now. So mm-hmm. um yeah, the number has ticked up. I think at, at last count, it was a little over 120 companies that I've invested in. And yes, I'm actively investing. Um, like I said, I one of the things when you look beneath the surface, right? Beneath the averages, beneath the the memes and what people are talking about. There are always amazing founders doing amazing work. There's always new ideas and products and new go-to-markets, new ideas about how to get distribution, how to find those customers, how to how to build a business. And so um, it might be harder and or different in a downturn than kind of in a a bubble environment or at least a boom, um, but mm-hmm. they're always out there. But yeah, I think my last investment... Last investments, I, I invested in quite a few companies in 2022. Um, my yeah. usual process, I, I try to invest in about four to six companies a year. I'm still saying, and by the way, in my portfolio, it's been really impressive to see the businesses that are getting built right now. Some of them are really taking off. That's great. And are you, what, what did you see last year in those investments? Did you see a lot of down rounds? Did you see, did you did it become a, a time of opportunity to get in deals at better terms as an angel investor? So I haven't seen a lot of down rounds yet. I think that that happens a little bit at the later stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but remember, founders, if you're running your business well and you have enough capital to go for a couple years at least, um, mm-hmm. let alone being break even, um, you have control somewhat over when you raise money. And I think that a lot of founders took measures in 2022 to try and stretch out their runway so they didn't mm-hmm. have to raise and unfortunately, what I think that means is that there's some bad news ahead of us. I, you know, um, Hunter Walk, uh, who's a venture capitalist and a friend, wrote a great piece a few weeks ago about the fact that a lot, we're going to see a lot of startups fail to raise mm-hmm. later this year. There's a lot of startups that cut their burn rates in 2022, um, which makes it harder to find product market fit, makes it harder to find growth. And we'll land in 2023 in a market where investors have a pretty high bar for writing that next check, um, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of growth and, and metrics and, and M&A won't be much better, right? The, the big companies aren't going to be there to buy as many companies, especially ones that are losing money. That's a very hard thing for a public company to do right now. And so it's going to be a tough year for a lot of startups. But no, I didn't see a lot of down rounds. What I am seeing a lot of founders do right now are extensions, right? They were a seed stage company they're not ready to raise a Series A, but they mm-hmm. like the idea of raising in 2024 instead of 2023. And so they go to their existing investors and say, hey, we're putting together a note, a couple million dollars just to get the company another year. Mm-hmm. All of our metrics mm-hmm. will be better. The market will be better. So I'm seeing quite a bit of that. On the flip side, the companies that are either in hot spaces like AI or um, companies that are building really big long-term businesses in deep tech or businesses that are just doing well, right? That their 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 numbers are up and to the right. They're seeing a lot of interest from investors. That something happened, I think, on New Year's. I, I think that there was some shell shock in 2022 and <laughs> people were actually active enough in the beginning of the year. People forget that investors, they tend to look at years in the aggregate. So, you know, if they were active in the first half of 2022, there's not as much pressure for them to yeah. do more in the end of 2022. They can figure it out and see what's going on. But something happened. I'm seeing a lot of activity. I I have companies in my portfolio who are getting preemptive term sheets, companies that are raising their Series B. So I, you know, something's thawing there. I have a a theory on what happened. Let's hear it. it. It's 
it spawned on Derek and I were recording an episode on on chat GPT the other day. And I was like, you know what? I think this, I think the the turnaround is going is entirely chat GBT because no, tech is so cool again. Like no one wants to miss out on one of these investments where a 300 person company has the ability to disrupt a tech giant. I, I don't necessarily believe that that's holy yet, but I do think that that has got, I mean, even in Barcelona, it's like hairdressers and I've never heard people talking about it at this magnitude, like a new, a new company at, or a new utility at this magnitude. It's crazy. Yeah, it is um, just the interest level that ChatGPT, I mean, mm. let's be clear. There's a lot of websites out there. My parents, who were in their 70s, had me show them how to put a bookmark to ChatGPT on their phones, on their home screen. <laughs> that, that is not normal. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you, that is not a typical situation. That is a Six Sigma event. That team at OpenAI, and I'm biased, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, Reid Hoffman, a number of others are on the board there. And They've been pushing on that idea of building out AI independently, not having it be locked in the big tech companies. It is amazing, amazing what they've catalyzed and just in consumer imagination. But I think you're hitting it on the head. I, I think that psychology, the reason that tech is cyclical is that psychology is cyclical in a way, right? Like mm -hmm. think about it a couple of years ago. Journalists don't even want to cover the latest financing round. The newsletters are too long with seed yeah. rounds. There are so many feature announcements, even a site like Product Hunt is swamped with feature launches that you can't keep track of it all. And so I think there is a point. Also, bad things happen, right? And, and people say, mm -hmm. oh, we didn't see that coming. And so they like look retroactively, like some of the negativity we've seen in social media was, oh, there are some repercussions of what we built and what we're doing that we didn't think through entirely. What is this going to mean for the world, right? And that, that weighs people down. The flip side is there are positive events that happen. A, a technology breaks through that captures imagination about what's going to be possible in the future. You know, and, and people realize, oh, wait, we are still building great new companies and new services. There are new people, new founders, um, new products and services out there. Startups start taking off with products and services that, that impress people. And so there are these little events that happen. And I think that what happens, the part of the boom and bust, maybe it's just a California thing. I don't know. I always think mm -hmm. that in some ways, California was built on the gold rush, and it's just still there in the psychology um, somewhere yeah. of just a bunch of people who are highly tolerant of there are good years and bad years, right? It's, I mean, it's almost biblical, right? Like good years that are so good, you don't remember the bad years and then bad years yeah. so bad, you don't remember the good years. But, um, mm -hmm. but that's why I say like, you know, building companies is not a quick thing. And even in the go-go venture capital world, you know, if you fund a company, you know, you're funding a company usually two or three years after it was founded. If you're doing the first round, it'll still take mm -hmm. another seven, eight years before it's big enough to be a public company. And that's mm -hmm. in the ideal case, right? That's that's not even in the uh, slow growing case. Those are with those crazy growth rates of 50 to 100% year over year. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the seeds of the next boom have already been planted, but it'll take longer than people think. Let's be clear. The bubble burst in 2000, 2001, when I joined LinkedIn in 2007, it was still hard to convince people that you could build a billion dollar company. I cannot tell you, I, I did a lot of recruiting at LinkedIn. I cannot tell you how hard it was to convince an engineer or a designer or product manager in 2007 mm. that a site like LinkedIn would make money, let alone ever be worth a billion dollars, um, let alone the 26 billion that it sold for, I think, to Microsoft. But that's how, that, you know, that's why I said like, actually some of that expansion is part of what drives new companies. Well, Derek, I think you had a, a question 
coming in from the the background, the shadows. <laughs> hey, Adam, appreciate you coming on the podcast. I do have a question just based on Silicon Valley in general. I'm also based in California. I believe in California, uh, unlike Sam on the other end there. He gives me a lot of crap for living here. But um, <laughs> I, I do see it firsthand. And I just had a question that since you've been involved with so many of these startups, kind of a multi-part question. First of all, are some of these companies getting too big for their own good and kind of resting on their laurels? I mean, we saw Facebook last year jump into the metaverse full scale, burn a ton of money, and now only to come back to uh, Mark Zuckerberg uh, getting lean again and focusing on profits. Someone like an Amazon now, they just had their first unprofitable year in almost 10 years. And work culture in general. I mean, Elon Musk jumped into Twitter. No matter how much of a mistake someone might think that is, he's now claiming that they could break even for the first time ever. And he's, you know, he leaned a lot of things out, a lot of company perks, maybe too many people on the payroll. Um, was Silicon Valley getting too fat for a while? I just want your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think it's a good question, although I think it, it jumps between a few different things that actually, I think, support the system instead of fighting it. But let, let me explain real quick. Look, I, I think the technology companies, the big tech companies, and I don't just mean, you know, the big five. I mean, even even below them, like the number of companies that are out there that are worth a trillion dollars, half a trillion, a hundred billion, 10 billion. I mean, the entire term unicorn was only coined, you know, by Aileen about 10 years ago, because the idea of even building a billion dollar company seemed extreme and outlandish. And now we talk about all these, it's unbelievable. Um, but the reality is those technology companies are incredibly successful and they got big. Look, I had the good fortune, um, one of my advisors in business school was Clay Christensen, who wrote The Innovator's Dilemma. And what I loved about Clay's psychology and about what he wrote about was he said, wait, I see the people who work at big companies. I see the executives. I see the talent they have. These are not stupid people. These are not people who don't do the math or, or don't do the numbers who can't figure out strategy. Why do new tech startups keep disrupting existing giants? And it's actually because these big companies are managed well. They know where their money comes from. They know who their best customers are. They know what type of talent and organization leads them to grow their businesses year after year. And it doesn't mean taking as many big risks, right? They don't just throw $100 billion of revenue at risk at any moment. So because of the way that they're run, because they focus on their best customers, there's always an opportunity for new businesses to focus on the other customers, underserved markets, people who don't need that solution, who can use the technology or not wed to it. I mean, part of the boom in fintech over the last 10 years has been based on the basic fact that most financial institutions know that their best customers are older. They're, they're more focused on the business of financial services than the actual um, technology being used. Whereas younger buyers, younger shoppers don't have that brand loyalty and aren't the best customers of the existing institutions. And they're happy to go with a startup that says, you're my best customer. I built a product for you. So I'm probably more positive about the big tech companies than most. But at the same time, I think the reality is they create the opportunity for new startups to exist. Right now, the big companies are doing layoffs. And they are cutting whole divisions that are investing in new future products because they don't help cash flow today. They're not profitable today. What do you want to bet that one of these startups that are being founded right now in five years, one of those big companies will have to acquire that company or be viciously competing with them because they cut that same team years, you know, right now. I mean, when, when the Web 2.0 boom happened, I can't tell you how many stories there were about how every product and service was a running joke. Every product and service 
that had become a multi-billion dollar company, Yahoo had tried to build at one point when it was on top, when it was the Web 1.0 giant. So I'm not negative at all. I just see it as part of the cycle. I, I see it as part of the system. The, the startup ecosystem in Silicon Valley does not exist by itself. It exists to fill the opportunities that big companies, frankly, can't and shouldn't take advantage of that are too small, that are too risky, that are too far out in the future um, for what they do for a living. They have better opportunities today, right? If Apple wants to make more money today, they have a lot of ways to do it. Um, the startup doesn't have that luxury. It's all in on the new bet. It's all in on the new idea. And they either make it and the company lives or they don't and the company goes away. And so I think there's a balance. So for me, actually, I was more concerned a few years ago that there was so much boom going on that the big companies had so much license with money that they were funding all these initiatives that frankly were crowding out the startup market and were very unlikely to be successful for them but also made it hard to build a new company. Um, and so um, to me, I, I think this is all positive. I mean, when I look at startups in Silicon Valley in general, the number you want to look at in the end is company formation, right? Not just the number of companies that are getting funded this year. You look at Series A, you look at Series B, you look at the whole pipeline, because in the end, we're going to judge Silicon Valley now based on what happens 10 years from now. And how many new big companies were funded here? today. I mean, when I worked in venture capital, I mean, I always thought this was the paradox of venture capital. Venture capitalists mm -hmm. only look smart in the short term when they say no. They have to raise their bar. They say no to the founder. You haven't thought through go to market. You don't have the right team. The big companies are going to kill you, blah, blah, blah. But it turns out in the long term in venture capital, you only look smart when you say yes. You become known for your yeses. And that's the hard part in the cycle. And so it turns out it's true for big companies too. It's just that their decision matrix is different. What they're rewarded for is different. Um, and so actually, I, I think, you know, I mean, I grew up around here, you go up to the mountains, you see the damage that a forest fire does. Mm -hmm. But you also see the growth that happens afterward, the trees that survive, etc, have more room to grow, they have more room to spread their seeds, you see all the new growth come in. So for better, for worse, I think we're just going through that phase right now. And, and I firmly believe that we have more great technology companies today than we did 10 years ago. And that's because of what we did 10 years ago when it wasn't so obvious to invest. Um, Figma, big deal of yeah. last year, right? When Is did that start? Day? 2012, 2013. I think I wrote the seed check in, in 2013. You know, so I just think it's part of the cycle. So I'm actually still very bullish on the whole system. I think there's a lot to go. You mentioned ChatGPT. Mm -hmm. Technology is still giving us new capabilities we didn't have. It's taking things that were expensive and making them almost free. We're finding ways to distribute data and service in ways we didn't before. And we're finding ways to build businesses we didn't know how to build before. I mean, I don't think a, a company like Daffy could have been successful 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And here we are now trying the audacious idea of building a company focused on a simple idea that more people should put money aside for charity. Well, this all dovetails really nicely into Daffy. And I have to give you kudos on that shirt. I'm just picturing myself walking down Barcelona Beach with a pair of aviators and one of those in case you guys need my mailing address after this. Be happy to send it to you, size medium. I think Derek's a medium, <laughs> but it looks really cool. Uh, why don't you give us, uh, like, first off, interested in your in your transition into this? I know you've been involved in in nonprofits for quite some time. How is this it actually structured? Is there a there's a nonprofit element to it, and there's also a business element to it, or is it is it strictly nonprofit? 
Yeah, that, that's that's a good question. And you're exactly right. There are both elements to it. Mm-hmm. So DAFI, uh, by the way, DAFI stands for the Donor Advised Fund for You. I mean, it turns out when you okay. have an engineer make up the names, they're they're kind of on the nose. So <laughs> it's a good app name, though. DAFI, it's good. But, um, yeah. you know, the Donor Advised Fund is this really great financial product, this tax-free account where you can put money aside for charity, mm-hmm. um, get the tax deduction, have it invested for you tax-free. And then anytime you want to donate to a charity, there's an app for that. Right, you can donate it, and and we support investing in basic ETF portfolios, ESG, crypto. We support inflation protected bonds, anything that you want. We we support, um, but the mission is simple. We want to help people be more generous more often, and so that's the basic idea. But yes, one of the struggles is that from a regulatory standpoint in the U.S., only nonprofits can offer donor advised funds, and not surprisingly, that really limits the amount of money that can be invested in the technology and service to build donor advised funds. Mm. And so in the US, almost every donor advised fund is partnered with a for-profit company, right? Schwab Charitable is partnered with Schwab, which is a public company. Fidelity Charitable partners with Fidelity Investments, Vanguard Charitable with Vanguard, et cetera. And DAFI is no difference, right? So DAFI is the nonprofit that offers the donor advised fund. But there's also a venture-backed company called Aside, it comes mm-hmm. from our vision statement, a, a world where everyone puts money aside proactively to help those less fortunate than themselves. And so Aside builds a cloud-based platform for nonprofits so that they can offer donor-advised funds to their members. And mm-hmm. Daffy is basically Aside's first customer. Okay. And so the venture capitalists put their money into this cloud-based platform to offer a new modern donor-advised fund platform to nonprofits. And of course, Daffy and its community benefits from having that investment and that technology platform behind it. And what what led you to to founding this, and how long have you been involved or working on the the con- concept for it? Oh, Daffy is a product. Uh, it's it's from the pandemic. Remote first company. Um, it was in 2020 that I w- I set out to to start a company. Alejandro Croso, my co-founder, I had been talking to for years. He was one of my favorite engineers to work with at LinkedIn back Mm -hmm. in the day. And we had been talking about starting a company for at least five years. And we were talking about different ideas. And I had, you know, know, like every EIR, I had this Google doc of like 82 startup ideas. I think that was the number. They were not all good, by the way. (laughs) But one of the lists was kind of what were great financial products that hadn't been reinvented yet. And the donor advised fund was on the list, but I couldn't figure Mm -hmm. out how to turn it into a venture class platform, into something that would really get not just thousands of members, but millions. But I had been on the board of Acorns for about six years. And, you know, they Mm -hmm. built an amazing platform now where millions of dollars pay for a membership to improve their financial lives, to help them save a little bit of money where they couldn't save before. Mm -hmm. And I said, if we can do this for saving, why can't we do this for giving? Right. Why can't we build an app? And, you know, so we we, we actually um, wrote up the, the basic strategy. We, we started talking to folks. And in December, we raised our seed round. But it was really just us and the idea. And we spent all of 2021 building the team, building the product, doing all the regulatory work to launch a donor advised fund. And when we launched in September of, of 2021, um, we were very proud. We were the first fully functional donor advised fund in the App Store. But the thing I was most proud of and something I talked to founders about a lot was our business model. So there's a lot of other donor advised funds out there and they almost all make their money the same way. They charge for a percentage of your assets and it's a high price, right? Vanguard, I love Vanguard. Lowest prices out there, great investment products. Even Vanguard has a minimum of $25,000 on their donor advised fund and a fee of 60 basis points, 0.6%. 
Which is so weird because it's Vanguard. <laughs> I, I know, but, but what's broken about it isn't just that the fee is high or that the minimums are high. It's actually the business model itself. I mm -hmm. believe that it's toxic for the idea of giving money to charity, right? Mm -hmm. So the problem is if, if you have a $100,000 account at Fidelity Charitable and you decide to give $10,000 to charity, Fidelity loses 10% of their revenue on that account. That's a pretty powerful disincentive for them to build features and services to help you give more. Got it. And so when we founded Daffy, I said, the problem with the existing industry is the business model. What's the right business model? And so I looked at how nonprofits organically make their money. And a lot of the nonprofits I respect and that I've been on the board of make their money through membership dues, right? The San Francisco mm -hmm. Zoo, um, you know, a church or a synagogue, a community center, and so Daffy uses that for its business model, right? You know, we're free for anything under $100, but mm -hmm. our normal membership is $3 a month. And we have a family membership now at $5 a month. If you want you to get your kids involved in giving or grandkids or your siblings, nieces and nephews. Mm -hmm. um, and we even have a high-end account for people who want to contribute a lot of crypto or stock. Um, but we make our money based on a membership fee, which we think is the right basis to build a long-lived community. Got it. As a as a user of Daffy, you can you'd pay say three dollars a month as a member, and then you would have access to contribute money into that would be held in Daffy, can grow tax free, and then later contributed to a fund of your choice. That's exactly right. So a lot of us we have good years and bad years, right? Some years we make more money, some years we make less money, mm -hmm. um, and it turns out the way our tax system works in those good years when tax rates are higher. Those are the years where it really is beneficial to donate money to charity, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. one of the better tax deductions out there for good reason. But a lot of people don't know who to give the money to right away, right? You get a big bonus, you have some stock. And so a donor advice fund lets you basically invest that money for charity, right? Mm -hmm. With the added benefit, you get the tax deduction immediately and then it's invested and you decide you can pick, you know, Daffy supports 12 different portfolios. Like I said, you want, you believe in Bitcoin. We have a pure Bitcoin portfolio. <laughs> you care about how companies are invested. You want a diversified ESG portfolio. We have those. You want a low-cost Vanguard portfolio, diversified across stocks and bonds, US and global. We do that too. Mm -hmm. If you think all of that is too risky and you want your money in cash or you want your money in inflation-protected bonds, we'll do that. Um, but yeah, it's basically, you know, the the way I explain it to people is it's a little bit like saving for retirement. For, for most mm -hmm. of us, Giving is something we think we should be doing every year. We know the organizations we support depend on it, but we don't treat it like a financial goal. And so when you when you sign up for Daffy, actually, that's the first question we ask you. How much do you give to charity every year? By the way, if you don't have a number, don't feel bad. Most people don't. <laughs> um, and we have a calculator. We will even show you the data of what the average household in your zip code gives mm -hmm. to charity every year, just so you have some centering. Ooh, you yeah. pick a number and we say, hey, do you want to put money aside every week? every month, right? So you have this account for charity. One of my favorite types of tax-free accounts for parents, I'm a parent, of course, that are 529s to save for kids college. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of the same idea, right? You're putting money aside. And so it's there when you need it. Last year, it was so rewarding when we had crises, when there were these events where people wanted to give to support, when the Ukraine war broke out and people wanted to give to the Ukraine, the people who had put money aside for charity, it was easier for them to give. The mm -hmm. money was already there. It had already been allocated. I opened my first donor advised fund more than a decade ago. And I looked back, right? I keep detailed records. I have a, I have that Quicken file that goes back to the 90s, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, very detail-oriented about these things. 
but I can see what happened to my giving. And it turned out that having a donor advised fund, having money put aside for charity made me more generous, right? It made me actually proactive and intentional about my giving mm-hmm. in a way that if you only give when someone asks you that you never are, and it never feels good when you feel like you're responding to the sales request. So, um, so we're pretty excited about it, but yeah, we, we launched in 2021 last year was our first full year. Very excited to see the community build. We launched a lot of new innovative features. Yeah. We, we have this crazy idea that we could be in a future someday where millions of people are putting aside money every week, every month for charity. You know, the research says that if you set a goal for your giving, you end up giving about 32% more. Wow. And in the U S that would be an extra hundred billion a year for charity. And so that's what we're fighting for. I almost feel like when you give to a donor advised fund, it's like a a double win because you get that joy when you give to the donor advised fund first time. And then you get you get the joy when you give to the charity from your donor advised fund the second time. It's very insightful because there really are two hard problems, right, that you have to solve to be generous. How much can I afford to give? And then who do I give the money to? And the beauty of the donor advised fund is it separates those two hard problems. But the upside is exactly what you said. When you put money aside for charity, that by itself, that selfless act of taking money out of your pocket and putting it aside for others, you should feel good about that. And people do. And then down the road, when there's an organization or a cause that needs money and you actually discover that you have it, and you make that decision to give it, you mm-hmm. win again. I know Derek's got one question, but just before we hop over to to, uh, to yours, Derek, Adam, on the, on the tax side, there's one thing that I think listeners really appreciate learning, and that is, uh, you'll do a much better job of explaining than than, my, than I will. Let's say you invested in Tesla 2013, you're sitting on this massive 1000% gain, et cetera. You can donate that appreciated stock into the donor advised fund, say into Daffy, you would not have to realize that gain, but you'd also get the tax benefit. Could you maybe explain or share an example like that with the listeners? Yeah, no, I think you did a good job though, of the basics, right? Like it okay. turns out that you don't have to just put cash into a donor advised fund. You mm-hmm. can donate assets, you can donate property, stocks, ETFs, mutual funds, people even donate real estate, um, crypto has been very popular at Daffy. We see a lot of crypto mm-hmm. contributions. And it's exactly for the reason that you described, because when you donate appreciated stock or property, you win twice. So first, let's be clear, when you donate a stock that you've held for more than a year that has a gain, you get to write off the full value current value of that stock as a charitable deduction. And remember, a charitable deduction comes off income, not not off capital gains. So those are the Mm -hmm. higher tax rates. That's really valuable, um, especially if you live in a high tax state. And you can do that up to 30% of your adjusted gross income. That's a lot, right? Like you can Mm -hmm. go pretty high. Mm -hmm. But the second benefit, which you described is that that Tesla stock you described, or by the way, it could be that you had a Vanguard index fund for the last Mm -hmm. 10 years. You don't have as much money as you think because someday you're going to have to sell that. And when you do, you're going to owe capital gains taxes. There's a tax liability built in there and donating the stock wipes that liability away. You will never pay those taxes. And so that double win makes it incredibly valuable, especially in years where your income's a little higher, you're in a higher tax Mm -hmm. bracket to think about donating stock or crypto. But I, I tell everyone, Two, I tell them two things. One is everyone should have a donor advised fund, right? Even if it doesn't come up that often, 
Mm-hmm. It turns out having this tax-free account for charity is just a better way to give. It makes everything easier. It makes you more generous. But the second thing I tell them is always, always look to contribute stock or crypto to your donor advised fund before contributing cash. Mm-hmm. And that's because of this tax benefit, right? And almost all of us have some investments, especially if we're long-term investors, right? You, you talked about Tesla. Tesla's been an amazing rocket ship. But I find that people think that those are the only things that you can donate. Like I said, you could own mm-hmm. boring index funds and just be a long-term investor that's been putting money aside for years or even decades. Mm-hmm. Let's say you had $5,000 in cash or you had $5,000 and you had $50,000 in Vanguard index funds that you'd been saving up for 10 years. I'm just mm-hmm. making this up. You could donate that $5,000. You could put that $5,000 into a donor advised fund, but you'd be foolish to do so. Take $5,000 of the Vanguard index fund and contribute that to your donor advised fund. Wipe out the tax liability, get the same tax deduction, and then here's the magic. There's no wash sale rule when you donate. So you can just use that $5,000 in cash to buy more Vanguard, except now you have a higher cost basis. You'll never pay those capital gains. Having a donor advised fund, having this tax-free account for charity is just an amazing financial tool, especially when you're trying to optimize towards the end of the year Mm -hmm. and thinking about what you're going to owe in taxes. 2022, we had a huge November and December here at Daffy. And a lot of it was driven by the fact, I think, that 2022 was a very lumpy year. Actually, people did sell a lot of stuff in the first quarter of 2022. Uh, And they realized some of those gains from 2020 and 2021. Um, And so I think a lot of people were looking in November, December and saying, oh, that tax bill is going to be higher than I thought. And by the way, no one was feeling like they wanted to reach into their pocket after 2022 (laughs) and and write another check. Right. And so it turns out that that donating stock or crypto, as it turns out, is a wonderful way to get more money in the hands of charities and Mm -hmm. save some money on taxes. Very, very insightful. Derek, did you have a couple more questions just related to to that? And or I think there may have been one from the Patreon that we just want to get across before the end of the episode. Yeah, I have a couple of tax questions. You guys actually answered most of what I had, but I, I get donating an appreciated asset and that totally makes sense. On the inverse, let's say I bought a Bitcoin at 50,000 and now it's worth 20,000. Would it make sense to donate a depreciated asset into this? Because I know a lot of people were getting out of crypto and they took a loss on that. No, do not do that. It's the opposite. It's 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 like, uh, what, what's that uh, Superman villain, Bizarro? says hello like, at the end and you know goodbye when he walks in the room. I don't know, you're the tech me. nerd. You should know yeah, the name. Bizarro is like an old, old comic book thing, but um, it is a little bit like that. So it turns out when you donate a depreciated asset, it's the worst of both worlds. Remember, actually having a loss has value on your tax return, right? right? Like I, it, it feel, it, by the way, I, I guarantee you, anyone who bought Bitcoin at 50,000 and sold it at 20,000 does not feel good about that transaction. <laughs> But it turns out if you have a $30,000 loss, like, and a short-term loss, right, is even more valuable than a long-term loss, given the way the tax rates are, you, you want to take that loss. Like, that actually will make you money on your taxes. Um, and depending on your tax rate, that could be, you know, it could be a third of that, that you get back mm-hmm. basically on taxes. And so um, you don't want to donate assets that have not appreciated. Also, the rules around it are different. Um, the biggest mistake that people make, of course, when they have things that are down is they ignore it, right? They don't think mm-hmm. about rebalancing their portfolio. In some cases, having something that's down 
actually means that you will end up investing more. The entire idea of rebalancing your portfolio is that every year, different asset classes have different years. If you mm-hmm. wanted a 60-40 stock bond split, if stocks have a good year and bonds have a bad year, you might end up 70-30. Or if bonds have a great year and stocks have a bad year, you might end up 50-50. And rebalancing is about the idea of basically selling a little bit of your winners, buying some of the losers to get your portfolio back at the right level of risk reward. Mm-hmm. But in general, donation is not a solution for that problem. You have things that are down. However, I will say that if you have a mix of things that are up or down, that idea of using donations of your appreciated assets to rebalance your portfolio is also another great tax idea that we saw a lot of people doing last year. Great. And just to touch back on, let's say I have a particularly good year and I'm trying to get my tax basis down. I, I give Daffy a large a larger chunk of money. That money will continue to grow tax-free. So let's say years down the road, I essentially have more money to give to charity, correct? That That's what a lot of people love about the donor advice funds. There's some people who use Daffy who just give a few hundred dollars a year to the same few charities every year. And they use the app to just manage that. They love having all their donation receipts in one place. They have recurring mm-hmm. donations. They know that their church is going to get the money when they're supposed to get the money. And that's perfect. But the use case you talked about is also very popular, which is that when you have a good year, you have this appreciated stock. There's no rule that says that you have to donate all that money in one year and the money is invested. When LinkedIn went public and I opened up my first donor advised fund, my accountant, of course, told me that, um, you know, this would be a good year to put money aside for charity. This is going to be an expensive year from a tax perspective. And I said, well, I don't know how much money to put in this donor advised fund. And he said, well, think about how much you want to give to charity every year. Multiply it by 10 and start there. And maybe you'll get year 11 and 12 for free based on the investment returns. Mm -hmm. And so we Mm -hmm. see a lot of people doing that. They actually feel good by putting money aside for charity early and having it invested. They see themselves as having more money to give down the road, Um, or they can support the same organization for more years, right? Instead of thinking about one big check. And so, yeah, spacing out your donations over time, giving the money time to grow, to fund your charitable giving um, are some of the things that people just love about the donor advised fund. And, and we see this, by the way, on the investment side. That's why you have some people, we have some people who invested in crypto and they're just hoping for a huge return so that they can give to all the organizations that they support. And of course, we see a lot of people who are like, no, 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 I put money aside every year in good years. I want invested mm-hmm. conservatively because I want to make sure that every year, when that organization needs money, they know they can count on me for support. Great. And one more really quick tax question. Then I have a question from a listener. As far Mm -hmm. as donating to individual organizations, obviously a lot of people donate to multiple organizations throughout the year. What is the advantage of doing that through Daffy? I assume your tax form looks like a donation to Daffy, correct? Yeah. So there's three um, basic advantages of why you do it this way rather than give straight to the charity. The first one is the one you said. It makes your taxes much simpler because your contributions to Daffy, we give you a tax report at any time, but no more Gmail searches, phishing for donation receipts, no more, you know, a file folder where you Mm. print out like things, no more regret that you didn't actually claim a deduction. By having all your charitable donations in one place, it makes tax time much, much easier. The second big advantage is that having a donor advised fund means that you can break things up right? Like that that person you asked about, if you had a Bitcoin that was worth $20,000 and they wanted to donate that to charity, 
do they want to donate that to one charity or do they support 10? Do they want to donate in multiple years? The great thing is when you put that Bitcoin in your donor advised fund, you can still make a donation for $20 or for 20,000 or anything in between. You could do it today, tomorrow, next month. You could set up a recurring donation every month for the next five years. And so that flexibility is a major advantage. And then, of course, the third advantage, and this is specific to stock and crypto, is just to remember that most nonprofits can't take stock or crypto. They don't know how to do that. That's expensive for them if they do do it. Let Daffy do the work. I think our second member ever was from New York wanted to give a Bitcoin to an Orthodox synagogue. And of course, the Orthodox synagogue didn't know how to take a Bitcoin. That's fine. I think they're focused <laughs> on other things. Uh, and he figured out, he saw our press release and said, oh, I get it. I download Daffy from the App Store. I give them the Bitcoin. I get the charitable deduction. They'll get the money to the synagogue. So I think for all those reasons, having a donor advised fund is just a much better way to give than trying to give one-off transactionally to different organizations. And really quick, this comes up in basically every podcast that we talk to a platform on, do you have to be an accredited investor to join? And also, do you have to be a US citizen? No to either. Um, it turns oh. out these are not brokerage accounts. These are not bank accounts. Um, the donor advised fund is is a separate type of account. What you have to do is we, we do... Um, we do a lot of vetting. Uh, obviously, you have to worry about fraud and security and a lot of other mm. things. And this is the one great thing about building a fintech platform in 2023 instead of building it in 2013. You have companies like Sardine out there who do amazing KYC and security and fraud, et cetera. You have all these platforms to help you. Um, but no, you don't have to be an accredited investor. We're very proud of the fact that you can start Daffy with as little as $10 a week. We have no minimum. And like I said, mm -hmm. we are free for any account that has less than $100 in the balance. And so we try to make it as easy as possible to get started. Because like I said, our vision is very much the idea that giving to charity is not as much about dollars as it is about people. Mm -hmm. There's 60 to 70 million people in the US who give to charity every year. Wow. We think that it would be amazing if even 10% of those people got together in a community like Daffy, putting money aside, talking about the charities they support, talking about the causes they support. Mm -hmm. That's really what we're focused on. And so no, anyone can get started. By the way, um, I'm sure you'll share with your listeners, but you can use my invitation link, or I'm sure you guys have your own. When you join Daffy on invitation, you get $25 when you fund your account to give to any charity of your choice, any of the 1.5 million or more charities we support across the US. Very cool. Eric, I, I, Eric, I, I call putting in uh, my invitation link into the show notes. <laughs> Dibs. Dibs. Yeah, you, it's a great uh, way to raise money for let's charity. Re let's remember who edits the podcast. I can change that pretty easily. <laughs> That's right. One more quick question before I kick it back to Sam, Adam. I love all this. I just wanted to hear a fun story from you. One of your favorite stories on how you've seen a direct impact from a charity that you've been involved in. Any uh, fun stories out there that you've really seen an impact on uh, giving with charity? That's a tough one. Um, and yet it is what what giving, I think, to organizations is built up. I, you know, uh, the research isn't wrong. Most of the reason that we give is because of the human impact it has. And the closer we get to that human impact, the more you know that that money didn't just go to a food bank, but it bought Thanksgiving dinner for, for 20 people who wouldn't have had it otherwise, right? Um, there's a lot of charities I support. I've actually written about a lot of them, but I'll tell you a simple moment that that means something to me. Um, I was on the board of uh, the, the local Jewish community center here in Palo Alto, which had a real up and down story. It almost went away. They managed to raise money and actually build a wonderful new facility here in Palo Alto um, that's open to the whole community. But they had this vision of kind of a mixed community 
They have senior housing um, that's actually built and optimized, especially for people who need medical care or just need a community. They have an amazing preschool and they have a gym. And what's been amazing, if you sit in that courtyard, and I have, I remember the first time I joined the board, helped raise money. I had literally gone to this preschool when I was a kid back in the 70s. So it's wow. it's like I had a deep connection to this, but it was always just a, a preschool on the side, rented space, like the small, a nice community, but it didn't feel bigger than that. And I remember sitting in the courtyard one day after the new facility had been built and just seeing the little kids come out of the preschool, mm -hmm. the little rope, you know, they guide mm -hmm. them, see some retirees sitting and talking over coffee. Um, seeing the parents come out of the preschool, heading to the gym and mixing, just the mix of generations, the the feel of bringing people together from all mm -hmm. over the community, um, all different denominations, all different backgrounds, and thinking this is really what community is about. And knowing that, that it wouldn't have happened if we hadn't raised the money to build that place, if we hadn't put all that effort in to save that organization. Mm -hmm. It meant a lot to me. Maybe it's a local thing. Maybe it's just because uh, I grew up here. But mm -hmm. I think these things matter, whether they're local, national, global. Um, mm -hmm. I think people, we can't fix everything. I think people find different causes that speak to them. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of giving is about finding those moments, those things that matter and feeling good that you made the world a better place with your efforts. Very cool. Thanks, Adam. Great story. Yeah, great story. Adam, uh, it's always fun to talk to you. It's very fun just to listen to you. You're just uh, you're very entertaining, full of energy, full of great ideas. Your work um, today has just been incredible and it just seems to be getting better. So thanks for taking time to to catch up with us. T tell us a little bit about your insights of going back into different technology sell-offs and 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 uh, even crashes over the last twenty years, and catching us up on on your new company, Daffy. You want to just leave any type of final comments just about where people can find out more. Obviously, Daffy.org. Um, and you mentioned um, the referral links that Derek will probably throw in the show notes, uh, <laughs> but any, any, anywhere else that people should tune in? No, I, I think that, that's the right thing. So definitely check out daffy.org or you can go to the app store and just search for Daffy and, and you'll find us. Um, Downless get started. Um, yes, use the invite link. I'll let you guys fight over it. I don't want to <laughs> shove mine in there. That's fine. I'm, I'm just happy to have you in the community. But I think in general, you know, the advice I would give to people is um, it may seem counterintuitive, but I'll put the plug out there that despite all the negative sentiment out there about whether it's the stock market, crypto, tech in general, that a lot of amazing things are getting built right now. And whether you're talking about opportunities in the public markets, or if you're an angel investor, or if you're a founder yourself, there actually are a lot of advantages to be building now. It's hard. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. It's hard to build a business in a down market. But the rewards are actually better in some ways. And so um, if you're an investor, keep an eye out for those positive breaks. Um, if you're a builder, keep building. And by the way, mm -hmm. if you're not happy with what you're doing, now is as good a time as any, to be honest, to think more deeply about what you could be doing instead with your time or your money and realign it that way. So um, I'll leave this. I'll leave the listeners with a positive note because I think that 2023 is going to turn out to be a better year than people expect. We're hopeful. All right. Well, we'll let you get back to enjoying your, was that a triple shot of, of Starbucks? Oh, it's is that the, the quad, L man. Is that the El Quad? It's the Quad. <laughs> uh, we'll have an El Cinco on us later and um, <laughs> we'll let you get back to building your company. Thanks for coming on the show, Adam. No, thanks for having me. It was fantastic. Happy to do it anytime. Sam, amazing interview. You had a pretty good uh, side contributor there as well. <laughs> yeah, not bad.
not only did we get his insight on tech, but also donor advised funds, which we're going to jump into. You're a little bit deeper on that wine, Sam. Is it is it still still velvety smooth? It, this is insanely good. I've been missing out. I've been drinking too much Spanish wine. I've been telling, thinking to myself how much I love Spanish wine. It doesn't hold a candle to a good Napa Cab or now Tuscan Cab. This stuff is just, it's like dangerously good. It's so smooth, but it is not easy to get your hands on. You know where? I, you know how I got this wine, Derek? How is it difficult to get a Tuscan wine in Spain? It doesn't. It seems pretty close. It is actually quite difficult for whatever reason. Like you can get the really high end bottles of Tuscan wine, but not like kind of. This is like a fifty euro bottle. Okay. So last May, I went to Tuscany with my parents, and whenever I go to wine country, it's like three days go by, and all of a sudden I have twelve bottles. <laughs> wine because when you go to a place you buy one and also you're like well how am i going to get all this home right? yeah how do you get it back i was like dude this is gonna be such a pain like flying these cheap budget uh european air airlines and like what am i going to do these 12 bottles right and they'll probably all get ruined or so i found a ferry that went from tuscany to barcelona that's actually super awesome <laughs> yeah so i'm going i have 12 bottles of wine in a cardboard box you can imagine like <laughs> carrying that for a block is like okay but carrying it for like five blocks and walking around in the sun sucks yeah no thanks and right as i get to the ferry i'm schlepping along right as i get to the ferry the bottom of the box falls out <laughs> oh, no. and i like stick my legs feet out and like <laughs> just to deflect the, the and none of the bottles broke right wow nice they all hit the ground but they didn't break some nice italian couple sees me like you know, this bags everywhere, broken box, wine, hands in the hair. And they pull over and they're like, you know, they're basically trying to help me. And one of they, they happen to have a trash bag, a big black trash bag in the back of the car. Mm. So I put all 12 bottles in. It's like one of the big duffel, you know, uh, heavy, heavy plastic bags. I put all the bottles in. in <laughs> you it, look like a homeless it. guy with wine. It. Yes. <laughs> I, it looks like Santa's stack, but it's <laughs> it's black plastic, right? So now I'm walking to the ferry and I got the, the sack on my back. And anyways, the ferry was quite cool. It was 24 hours from Tuscany to Barcelona, stopped in Sardinia, had my own cabin, super fun. And then I got off the ferry and it was like three in the morning, Barcelona time. And I had to like get back to my place. And every and none of the bottles, all the bottles are fine the whole time. And right as I get to my front door, I push, I put the bag on top of my suitcase to balance as I get my key <laughs> so out. So it's the like door. a horrible idea right and, now. <laughs> and the whole bag slips off and falls, and one bottle smashes. Oh. Um, but I got the other eleven, <laughs> and this was one of the eleven. So I've been like waiting to to drink it because it was my favorite one. And um, well, it's. Uh, it's a good moment to share with you. And I think it just it maybe just tastes better because the whole journey to get it there too. Mentally, it's gotta be like, yeah. do you know what I went through to get this bottle of wine? It better taste yeah. good. What if it tasted like crap? <laughs> and you're kind of expecting it to be spoiled because it got rattled so much and it was in all these different heat temperatures and stuff. And but yeah, all good. But I don't know how I'd get more of it, you know, if you wanted to. Maybe I'll, I'll write the the vineyard and tell them the story and see if they send me a case. <laughs> <laughs> Sam's dedication to wine is like Adam's <laughs> dedication to tech. Um, one's a little bit more noble than the other. but <laughs> no, The difference is Adam actually knows tech and I <laughs> just consume a lot of wine, but know almost nothing about it. <laughs> so let's, let's first start off talking about tech before we get too off the rails here. The last few episodes, let's go over it. We talked uh, ChatGPT. We talked Cozen Funds last week. 
I got really excited about those. I actually am looking at buying some of those. And now we're talking tech again. It's like a boom so far. We're in the first, well, second week of February as we record this. And the market is up crazy. I think the NASDAQ is up like 20% already in a month and a half. I just, can mm -hmm. this whole hype s sustain in tech and related it back to the dot coms and Adam doesn't seem too concerned. He doesn't feel like it's like it was then. And, and he, everything seems positive on his end. He wasn't negative about anything tech, which is good yeah. to hear. I don't know. I'm, I'm getting excited about technology again. I invested in C3, your biggest loser. I think you did that just games. to spite me, though. <laughs> <laughs> Sam's going to pull up in a Lamborghini and I'm going to go like, oh, it just broke even on it. There was like almost no point to that comment, except just I just wanted to say. It. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right, because I jumped into Microsoft after the mm -hmm. AI uh, episode, and that's up about 10% uh, in two weeks. So I'm not mad about that. Microsoft also bro, just introduced the... Uh, AI-powered Bing that is coming. They they let uh, the press see it yesterday, and I guess it was amazing. So looking forward so that, to that. That's what's that's powered by ChatGPT. It is, yeah. Dude, that's that's a that's a that's a game changer right there. That's sick. Good for them. I mean, a company so big that it's taken that's really, I mean, they're in a good spot with AI in a lot of different ways, and they seem for being the world's biggest company, they seem to be innovating quite even if it's through investments and stuff they're, they're they're not just microsoft word anymore right i i that's what i found interesting about adam's um assessment of these giant companies now you know look at facebook last year when we got excited about the metaverse and then facebook releases quarterly earnings and we find out that mark zuckerberg spent 600 billion dollars and didn't uh, develop anything <laughs> so Adam's saying that it makes more sense now that these companies are so huge and are sitting on piles of cash. Why burn it internally? You know, focus on the things that you know make money. And when you see these small startups like OpenAI innovate, just acquire them. You have the cash. Yeah. I mean, I think it makes more sense to let these startups kind of burn through the cash and figure out the process and then just acquire them. I think that, that yep. totally makes sense with the size these tech companies are becoming. What most that's what most big companies do to a large degree. Like why why have these small teams burn all your cash up and eat all your free snacks and catering in the, in the lunchroom in like Twitter with Elon Musk? He's claiming they've broken they broke even now and he, he cut half the staff and he did what he said he was going to do even though everyone calls him evil. But if he's correct and Twitter breaks even, it's the first time in 15 years that company will ever make a penny. Yeah, and time for him to move back to more meaningful projects like Tesla and SpaceX and OpenAI. Right, like write the just, ship, get a CEO, and get out of there, Elon. <laughs> can, we, can we write a petition to get him out of Twitter? <laughs> I think he already did. He put up that poll that said, uh, it, should I leave as CEO or something? And he said he's going to stand by it once he finds a CEO. You know, We'll see. He says a lot. <laughs> okay. Yeah, fair enough. Well, I, I actually... During the, this interview, I didn't say anything, but I was like, I, I just started feeling like an idiot because he was talking about the strategy to invest in donor advised funds, which I'm pretty sure I remember and I just didn't do it, mm -hmm. but it was to invest uh, appreciated asset and not invest, not like write checks. Well, that's exactly what I did like two weeks ago. Did you really? I mean, you, I, yeah. okay. You, you got one like last year. We talked about this. And I thought initially you put assets in, right? Or did you just write a check? Originally, I put assets in. I I transferred Tesla stock. So you looked at your account, you saw that you did that, and then when you went to add more money, you just wrote a check? 
Well, I had a I had a uh, payout from a company like a month ago, so I had cash, but I didn't even think to in, to move over index funds because I look at my portfolio. Like most of my stock, my stock portfolio is literally no winners left except Tesla. It's and been a rough Tesla's one, <laughs> down fifty percent, but I still have a gain on it, right? But it's like I didn't want to transfer that. Most of my other stocks are just losses. I didn't want to transfer those. At least I got that part right because it did cross my mind at one point. Like, well, I'll just move some of these losers into there that I'm about to get rid of the position anyways. But I didn't think I still have gains on a lot of index funds. I didn't think to just move those over. What about what about Instead, Bitcoin? You, I know you have Bitcoin. Oh, wait, that would have been um, losing. Maybe it's depending where it's at, I guess. Yeah, but I, I mean, I didn't think to invest any of these to, to move over any of these investments that were up still, mm -hmm. but had been had a, a significant pullback. It's like, I like that position. I don't want to, I don't want to transfer it now, you know, wait yeah. for it to come back. But I think it still would have made way more sense to have done that than to use the cash that I had. So no, I understand because I, I have, I have assets like that too, where I'm like, I'm up, should I sell it? The market's in a good place right now. I don't really want to sell it. So I, mm -hmm. I understand that. But for the tax purposes, I would have thought if you're moving it to a, this not-for-profit donor advised fund, that would have just made sense. Maybe because it's early in yeah. the year. I bet if it was December, you would have had that on your mind, maybe thinking, hey, it's the end of the year. I should uh, lower my tax basis here. I don't think about that stuff enough. And I really, I should do a better job. I got a lot more free time on my hand starting in three weeks. So I'm going to you know, be able to think about these things a little bit more. So why don't you tell us your experience with donor advised funds so far? Um, you don't have a Daffy account. We've we've talked to Charity Vest in the past. What do you see how this relates to what you've done with Charity Vest so far? First of all, I think the donor advised fund enabled in this in this way of access is brilliant. And first time I had heard about donor advised funds from my accountant, but it was like didn't seem like there was an easy way to invest in them. It goes back maybe four or five years ago. And then when I heard about Charity Vest, I opened an account with them and I got really excited about donor advised funds because it solved all of my issues with giving, which was like mainly at the end of the year, okay, I have some money to give to, I don't know who to give it to. So then you're like, you have to kind of find someone you want to give it to. Mm -hmm. With this, you don't have to think about that. It's like, I want to, I want to start putting money aside to give, but it doesn't matter if I give in five years or 10 years, I'm going to get the money aside now, get the and I get the tax benefit now, and that money can grow tax-free now and in the years ahead. So that like was a major blocker for me that was solved by this type of tech-enabled platform. I think that's awesome too. Before before all this, it sounded like you had to go through like a family office or some crazy accountant type service to get this done with high mm -hmm. fees. And now the tech's figured it out. Yeah, it's a, it's amazing. Let's and people like us, and I think a lot of lot of listeners of the show. You have good years and you have bad years. You know, we don't have nine to five paychecks where we know exactly what we're going to make every single year. Yeah. If you have a good year and you want to lower your tax basis and still give, um, this is a great way to do it. Put a large chunk of money in there, lower your tax basis, and that money will grow for years to come. So you actually end up giving even more money in the long run. It's a win-win. Yeah, it's super cool. It's super cool. And, and then last year was the first year that I was able to actually contribute from my donor advised fund into an actual charity. And it worked like a charm. It was like, I went in, I found the charity, which was not an easy charity to find, by the way. It was Give to Asia that's based out of, uh, I think they're based out of Hong Kong. And then through them, they sent the money to Child's Dream in Thailand. Oh, so you and had to go there, through 
like three yeah. parties just to get it to Child's Dream, who we've had on the show in the past. And to get it to the source, yeah, which was to build the school in Cambodia. But it was all, it was very simple. It sounds complicated, but it was like the money got routed to to give to Asia in literally two clicks through the donor advised fund. And then they were, they already knew that Charles Dream was expecting it. And from there, the project was already set up with the representatives in Cambodia. And then uh, they started building it. And then I went and met them last October and for the opening of the school. So it was like, I don't know. It was a really, really good experience all around. It was easy. Uh, the ta tax certificates or receipts, you call it, is all automated and in one place, which I think is another really big one. It's like, you want to give to five charities a year, you want to chase them for tax receipts and things like this. So I think this structure makes so much sense. Um, and also like down the road, I was thinking, I haven't verified this, but I was thinking if you do really well in life and like later down the road, you want to be full-time philanthropy, full-time charity, I'm pretty sure you could just continue to fund your donor advised fund for say the next 20 years. And then in 20 years, you want to create your own foundation you create your own foundation, then you transfer the money from your donor advised fund to your own foundation. It's like the seed money for your own foundation in 20 years. I didn't even I think, think that about that. Yeah. If you, if you create your own 501c3, you could just transfer all that mm -hmm. money. And uh, over the time that, that those funds grow, you could have a huge chunk and do a lot of good with your own foundation. You're right. Yeah. So it's like almost like you you keep your assets for a later chapter of your life. And if and if for any reason that's not true that you couldn't do that for some reason, you could still spend your life like allocating that money just running it through the, the donor advised fund. So, it checked a ton of boxes for me. I think the way that they're set up is smart. Um so I looked at Daffy's membership prices. Have you taken a look at that there? I have. Before we touch into that too, really quick though, if anyone's concerned that maybe their favorite charity or organization isn't available to contribute through Daffy, it says they have over 1.5 million charities that they're connected to. So I would assume that if you were, if you give to a 501c3 directly right now, you can most likely do it through Daffy and then consolidate your tax forms. And yeah, the fee side, I'm really curious about because Adam does theirs differently. It's a subscription model, essentially a monthly fee. What do you think of it? First of all, it looks almost too cheap. <laughs> I'll say first, that. First off, from a technology standpoint, how do you even connect to, to 1.5 million? It's a lot of work. <laughs> there has to be some, yeah, there has to be some automated way to do that. Because if you just run the numbers, like if you connect to 100 a day manually <laughs> your years you're still years out <laughs> years with a, like a dedicated team to connect to 1.5 million so that was kind of i'm sure there's got to be some just, network or something yeah, yeah they, they figured well, it out awesome. though oh those silicon valley people <laughs> they're a smart bunch right let's go over the fees because it's it's less than netflix i'll say that <laughs> even the top level um three bucks a month is the lowest fee. It says you can contribute any amount with a linked bank account, essentially with cash. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to donate an asset like Sam forgot to, you could do crypto stock. Um, I wonder if you could do real estate also. Didn't we touch on potentially doing real estate funds in there too? Mm. thought with Charity Vest, you could do uh, something like that. It'd be something to ask, I think. Yeah, maybe we should follow up on that. Like if you, had a, if you owned a piece of land or like inherited a house, could you c contribute that and then liquidate it? Yeah, that'd Maybe be good not. to know. Unless it was worth like ten million, they're like, yeah, yeah. We'll do that. <laughs> I got a beach house in Malibu. I just want to dump off. Um, we'll send a real estate broker over to your house, <laughs> assess it. 
yeah, and that that three dollar level, you can donate to any of those one point five million charities. Like I said, um, family plan, you can actually add a second person to your account. So I can see Johnny hitting you up, Sam, and be like, hey, I want to save a couple bucks. Let me jump on your family plan, Sam. <laughs> Just kidding. I like to give Johnny crap. I'm not <laughs> laughing at that, Johnny. I didn't think it was funny. Uh, <laughs> um, but you can actually have up to 25 people on that uh, plan. So that's a, that's a very large family. Um, and that will let you bump up any asset up to $50,000. And then the top level is $20 a month. And you can contribute unlimited anything, any stock, any crypto, um, any transfer from another donor advised fund. So Sam, if you wanted to move your other donor advised fund into Daffy, the maximum level mm -hmm. is 20 bucks a month. So $250 a year. It doesn't seem bad if, if you're talking six figures in your uh, account. So how would that compare to, do you know what charities vest fees are? Yeah. So I looked up. So when you first start a charity vest account, the initial fee is 0.45% already. That's just a one-time charge. What, what should we say? $100,000, Sam? Oh, are we like just doing an example based off a hundred thousand dollars yeah account okay so at the top level of daffy hundred thousand dollars would cost you two hundred and forty dollars a year if you had a hundred thousand okay. dollars in the charity vest account like i said they have the initial fee of 0.45 but we'll just say the annual fee which is 0.15 percent so let me do the math here a hundred and fifty dollars a year for charity vest compared to 240 Wait. but remember you do have that initial 0.45 percent fee so well that's pretty heavy so that's a 450 dollars. so the first year of charity vest is going to cost you 600 dollars, and then every year after that 150 so it's going to take quite a few years to even out uh daffy's price so i that initial fee is, seems really high now looking at daffy's it hurts getting a chunk of money taken out up front and especially money that you're trying to use for good yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, the other thing I thought was cool with, with Daffy's is the variety of funds and investments that you can get into from there, which makes it kind of fun, right? And it makes sense now also, given Adam's background, that this would be sort of a, a unique proposition to Daffy, where it's like you can get you can get pretty involved in the in the different types of portfolios that you can put together. This is interesting. Sam, with with your approach to funds that you had used for charity. Would you would you do the most risky, uh, maybe potential higher payout, or would you keep it very conservative? Because these these are funds that you don't have anymore. You've already taken the full tax write off. Mm -hmm. So do you just let it ride and, and shoot for the moon, or are you just kind of like, yeah, let's just take the uh, three four percent a year gain and and keep it safe? Oh, uh, I don't know. Probably probably in the middle somewhere. You know, it's kind of fun to be fun with this a little bit, but then again. You're really like, this is money set aside to kind of do something good. And I think you'd feel really bad if you risked it and, and lost a lot of it, you know? Yeah, I think they have a crypto fund too, don't they? Yeah, and that was really Oof. exciting. Too. I was <laughs> it like is. thinking, Bitcoin's at 20,000. Like, why not just put it all in that? It is, but damn, you would feel like crap if it just dropped down to yeah, like, like 5,000. Yeah, like you're committed <laughs> to building a school next year. And yeah, then right. you're like, um, uh, sorry, I, sorry, I lost it all in a crypto fund. I had the money. I wanted to build but... two schools instead, and now yeah. we can't build any. I still get the full tax write-off, so sorry. <laughs> 
Tell the kids they got to wait a few more years. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. <laughs> this is just, it's a positive all around. I really like these donor advised funds and I'm glad that we're able to in, uh, introduce this to other bosses out there because, you know, before last year, I didn't even know these things existed. And I think a lot of people are in the same place and you don't have to be a multimillionaire to do this. You can start with a hundred dollars in your account. If, if, if that's all you can afford a year is to give a hundred dollars, you can do that with Daffy and they'll take care of it. You'll get your tax write off, but you, where you might've given zero, you give a hundred bucks. And he said, it gives you incentive to give even more because you have that money there. You have to use it once, once it's in the account, you know, you can't pull that money back and be like, Oh, I have a, a large bill to pay. It's there. Yeah. It's, it's set aside for charity, so you're going to do it. Where if it's just sitting in your bank account, you're like, eh, I could give it to charity or I could uh, yeah. go buy something nice for myself. So it's a lot easier to do it when it's sitting in that donor advised fund already. I agree, totally. I think this it's covers off a massive, it's like a, it's not like a need, but it's, I don't know, once you, once you start doing this stuff, and I'm not trying to speak like from any type of higher level or anything, it's just my experience that once I got involved in giving a bit and actually got hands-on with some of that giving versus just kind of blind checks to so-and-so, but actually go there and like, and do something, uh, hands-on. It's like, it's hard to, it's hard to match that experience in the material world, you know? Yeah. In, in pursuing your own desires and stuff. So it's, it's not all altruism. It's, kind of self-serving in a way too, because you get like a massive feel good from it, you know? Well said, Sam, if you want to open a Daffy account of your own, there is a link in the show notes to do so. We also hope to uh, partner with Daffy a little bit more in the future and get more involved in this charity aspect. I know we're an investment podcast. We talk about making money, but to uh, share the wealth a little bit with those hopefully profits. Mm -hmm. And speaking of giving, thank you so much to our Patreons who give to us each month to keep the show going pay for Derek's podcast studio so we can have at least one of the three of us in a professional environment week in <laughs> and week out. And um, to all the other listeners out there, we appreciate you. Hope your new year is going well. As Derek said, we had, uh, we've had a few great episodes already and we have a really killer lineup over the next month. So we're pumped up. We're energized. If you have guest suggestions or topics you want to see us cover, just give us a shout. And I know we sound like a broken record every week talking about Patreon, but we've really stepped up our game on Patreon. We have bonus episodes in there. We have a lot of updates that we don't get to share with on the show. We've added the Discord account, which is starting to grow um, $10 and up level. You can get a private Discord group. And we created that for you bosses out there to talk to each other because Patreon is cool for Sam, Johnny, and myself to post to you guys. But for you to talk to us and to talk in the community, it's very, very difficult. So that's why we started this Discord account. I think it's, it's really cool. We're keeping content busy on there. I mean, we've seen stuff like Facebook and social media just really kill us in the algorithm. So we're not able to reach you. The best way to do it is with Patreon. So if you check that out, you're going to get a lot of exclusive benefits just to add on to the show. And we don't charge you anything for the show. And I think a lot of people are just uh, using Patreon to kind of show their appreciation for maybe you heard something on Invest Like a Boss that really helped your investment wise. This is the best way to give it back is uh, pay it forward on Patreon so we can keep giving you guys awesome guests like Adam Nash. Agree totally. Adam, thanks for coming on the show. Good luck with your new venture, Daffy, and all the awesome work that you've done previously in technology and, and beyond. 
All right, Sam, we'll see you later. You are off to Japan. I can't wait to hear about those travels in the upcoming episodes. We'll talk to you bosses next week. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.